Good, good. You guys ready to jump into the Bible here? Uh, it's great to be here. It's great to be with you this morning. And uh, this is, uh, I guess, officially our regular, first regular Sunday. So that's, that's cool. That's pretty awesome. Uh, last week, I had a great time with all the guys. Uh, we, we had this place rocking. Let me tell you, it was, it was awesome. And I heard the women had an incredible service as well. Um, we're going to do a little Bible study. We're going to do something a little bit different than probably used to in most sermons. Uh, we're just going to stick in one scripture. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 1, and we're going to be there. We're going to camp out there. So whoever's typing up scriptures or wherever, I'll make it real easy for you. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 1, and then we're going to jump over to chapter 2, and then we're going to end at the first paragraph of chapter 3. So, But you don't have to write all that out. So, uh, But uh, let's, let's go ahead and uh, start out with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for uh, giving us Bibles, God. Yeah, thank you for writing us. Father, I think about how important it is when uh, somebody I love shoots me a text, and I love getting texts from my kids, my wife, from, from Karina, from families and friends, and, and how much more a text from you, God. And help us as we open our text to really open our hearts and our minds and, and to be eager to learn, to grow, to have open hearts to uh, be moved by you and even transformed by you, God. Thank you so much. Bless our study time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So it's just good to be here. I just got to say it again. Um, I'm very, very excited about what we're doing. So Hebrews chapter 1. Now, now, the reason I'm doing this a little bit is because uh, I can't find any of my stuff. We're unpacking so I couldn't find my computer, I couldn't find my Bible, I couldn't, well I got a lot of Bibles, but I have one for preaching, and I couldn't find that one, so, so I'm using my Bible on my iPad, and uh, uh, hopefully that it doesn't lose power. See, the thing about it, the good thing about a paper Bible is it never loses power, right? It's always powerful, but uh, that's the problem with technology, it can lose power. So we're going we're gonna to start in Hebrews chapter 1. In Hebrews, we're, we're actually going to be studying Hebrews a lot next year. And, and I'll tell you why later. And there's a whole bunch there. And, and I also actually have a book coming out on the book of Hebrews. It, in many ways, it's the perfect book for our church. I'll tell you what, how many of you, raise your hand, have you been a Christian between 25 and 35 years? Raise your hand. Okay. Or around the church, I should say, because some of you grew up in the church, right? Okay, so that's a good chunk of us. So the book of Hebrews was written to Christians who've been around about 30 years. So it's kind of, you know, this is kind of the midlife book here, right here, of the Christian life. And there's a whole lot of stuff in there about that, but, but it's also fantastic for young Christians and new people who are coming in. You know, right now in our world, Jesus is a hot topic, especially in the religious world. You know, our world is changing on all kinds of different levels. A lot of that driven by technology, but socially, politically, economically, you know, every other illy way is changing right now, right? One of the biggest ways the world is changing is religiously it's changing. Uh, Christianity is on the rapid decline. Islam is on the rapid increase. Uh, Buddhism, Hinduism... They're on the decline. Judaism, you know, there are less Jews. There are more Mormons today than there are Jews. And Judaism is on the decline. 
population is declining. I mean, there's just a lot of shifts that are really changing our world. And what that means, though, for us, that's so important, is the worldview of Jesus is changing. As every Sunday, I think I shared this the other day when I preached, 700 churches close their doors in America. 700. And denominations are collapsing. They're literally collapsing. In our church, because our churches are, are growing, not by much, but they are generally growing and generally doing well, um, a lot of, there are people just handing over buildings to our, in our fellowship. I know of a number of churches in our, in our fellowship that somebody handed them a building because they couldn't populate anymore. Their congregation got down to 10, 12 people, and they have a building that holds 300 people. It's kind of silly meeting in there, right? So this shift, but what it affects us is how people see Jesus. A recent study was done. They took a, kinder, a, a class of kindergartners, and they showed them a picture of Ronald McDonald. They said, how many of you know who this is? Everybody raise their hand. There's about 25 kids in the room. They showed them a picture of Jesus. How many of you know who this is? And like two kids raised their hand. They didn't even know who he was. Okay, I know, nobody has a real picture of Jesus, but we all have a general image of Jesus, right? So normally, if you'd have done that 25 years ago, every kid would have raised their hand. But that's our world today. People don't know who Jesus is. And even a lot of people who think they know Jesus don't really know Jesus. Barna Research, which is an organization that does all this research on what's happening in the Christian world, they did a massive study because they wanted to show the difference that Jesus makes in people's lives. So they, they, they polled, they surveyed all these people, and they picked out the people who said they feel like they know Jesus. And they had to at least go to church once a week. They had to be regular members of a church and of a community of faith. And, and they picked them and they studied them. Then they picked a group of people who don't go to church who say they don't know Jesus. And they studied their lives, their marriages, the quality of marriage. How do you feel about your marriage? Your purity. How often do you look at pornography? Do you get drunk very often? Do you get high? Do you do this? Do you do that? Do you fight? Do you cuss at home? Do you smoke? Do you, all this stuff. And they wanted to show the difference that Jesus makes. Well, when the research came down to it, they were shocked. Because it made almost zero difference. And in fact... <laughs> There were even a couple of categories that were worse with the people who were going to church. So either A, Jesus makes no difference at all in your life, or B, they don't really know Jesus. Now I think most of us who know Jesus know for a fact he makes a huge difference in our lives, right? Raise your hand if Jesus has made a huge difference. Look, look around all the people with their hands raised, right? Now, I'm not talking a little difference, like, oh, I'm kind of nicer sometimes. No, I mean, like, my life was changed, right? Totally changed by Jesus. And I broke free of whatever, addiction or hatred or whatever, you know, and, and I got a better marriage or a better life or whatever, you know. I mean, that's why Christians are so excited, because we know Jesus, and Jesus changed our lives. But obviously, that means a lot of people think they know Jesus, but don't know Jesus. And in fact, you know... It's interesting because then I noticed how many times Jesus said, away from me, I never knew you. 
He ended several parables that way. And I realized, you know, this is a pretty big deal. Really knowing Jesus. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people I could say, oh, yeah, I know who that is. But that doesn't mean they know me, right? I mean, that doesn't mean that we have a knowledge of each other, that we're really close to each other. And in fact, in Hebrew, there's several words for knowing somebody. In Greek, there's several words for knowing somebody. Even in Spanish. Unfortunately, in English, we just use one word, know, right? So you, you could say, yeah, I know, you know, I know the... I know what the 4th of July is, and I know my wife, and I know my kids. We're talking about very different things there, even though we're using the same word. There's knowing God, and then there's knowing God. There's knowing Jesus, and then there's really knowing Jesus. And that's what we're talking about. So we're going to start out with an introduction to Jesus. The writer of Hebrews wanted to make sure we know who he is. So he starts out and he says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So as you know, in the past, in history, God would, would pick a person and he would speak through that person. That person would be called a prophet. Daniel, Isaiah, Micah, Jonah, all these were, these were all prophets, right? Jeremiah, Jehoiakim, all of them were different prophets that that God used to speak to the people through. And that is his normal way. I mean, every once in a while, he'll bend the rules and he'll send an angel. Or he'll make a personal appearance, which is extremely rare in the entire history of... I don't, everybody wants their own personal appearance by God, right? I'm sorry, but like a handful of people in the entire history of the world have gotten a personal appearance. You know, like Moses got one, you know. And even if you look... Even with Moses, it, it was actually the angel of the Lord. Sometimes it refers to him as speaking to the angel of the Lord. Sometimes it refers to him speaking directly to God. But very few people, most of us have to rely on somebody speaking to us that God has sent. I mean, that's how most of us came to church, right? Somebody invited us to church, and God was using that person. And some of you grew up in the church and you're stuck, sorry, but you're coming, you know. And, and that's who God used, was your parents, to, to reach out to you, right? But God usually speaks through somebody, works through a person. In the past, he worked through the prophets. And many times in different ways, and different prophets were known for, you know, Daniel spoke, speaks about the greatness of God and God over the nations. Micah speaks about uh, a God, God loving the poor and the needy and, and rebuking the people for not taking care of the poor. You know, Hosea speaks about redeeming love. And, you know, all of them have kind of a different theme. The way to think about it, one commentator said, is, it's like keys on a piano. Every one of them is a different key. But Jesus is the whole keyboard. He's all of them. He says, but in these last days... He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. In the last days, when are the last days? We're in them right now. These are the last days. He speaks through Jesus. He sent Jesus so we not just get somebody, some guy named Elijah or, 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 or 
Moses or Isaiah, not just some guy that God spoke to or some woman that God chose to use. No, this time he sent his one and only son. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, it gives Jesus a name or calls him something that the other books don't. The other books call him the son of God and they call him the, the, the child of God. But we also get called the sons and daughters of God and the children of God as well. This one calls him the monohenitos, which is the one and only begotten. Kind of like the only one that was born of God. The rest of us had to be born into God. But he was born of God. And he's the only one. He said this time, the last days, he's not just sending an employee. He's not just sending a servant. He's not just sending anybody. He's sending his one and only son. This is the heir of all things. What things? All things. Everything. He gets it all. He gets everything. He is the heir of everything. And he says, the heir of all things through whom he made the universe. Just to make sure we're clear on how big is Jesus. He's bigger than the universe. He made the entire universe. Now I got to tell you, this is important because the three fastest growing religions in the world today, all of them deny that Jesus is God. All of them do. Islam, Mormonism, and Jehovah's Witnessism. Those are the three fastest growing influential groups in our world. And none of them recognize Jesus. In fact, for the first 500 Recognize the full character of Jesus, I should say. They recognize things about Jesus, but not him in his fullness, in his greatness, in all that he is being described right here. And that's important. Because if Jesus is not God in the flesh, he can't save you. If he's just a prophet, he can't do anything for you. He's dead, he's gone, he can do nothing for you. You know, one time... Uh, uh, a guy, he was the president of Atheist United. He took out a full, ad, a full page ad in the, in the New York Times and the LA Times. The, the title was God is Dead, Jesus is Dead, He Doesn't Love You, and He Can't Help You. Now, what made that guy that hateful? I have no idea, you know, but, but that would be a pretty sad existence if that were true. You are hopeless. You are on your own. There is no higher power. How sad that would be. How tragic that would be. Well, thankfully, that's not true. In the last days, God sent his one and only son, the heir of all things through whom he made the universe. Everything that has been made, the chair you're sitting on, the light photons that are hitting your Bible so you can see it, the air you're breathing the heart that's pumping in your chest, everything was made by Jesus. He made it. He said, nah, but my chair says made in China. <laughs> Who made the atoms? Who made the molecules? Who put China on the map? Right? He did. And it says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. Now, I, I could read that to you in Greek, and I still don't know what it means. 
It's just something awesome. It's the apagasma hotheos, the radiance, the glory of God. I don't know how that exactly looks. You know, I know that when, when, the, when the Hebrews were led out of Egypt and they were brought to the mountain to meet God, his glory was so intense, they all got scared and didn't want to go up the mountain. They, it was just so awesome, right? It was so great. It was believed that if you got close to God, you would just die of being overwhelmed. It would just be so incredible, you would just keel over and die, right? In fact, it, it, there's an old story that, you know, once a year on, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies in the temple, right? And he's the only one that's allowed to go in there and only one day a week on the high holy day, right? So it was said that they would tie a chain to his ankle. So just in case he died, you know, none of the brothers are going to go in after him. They're like, uh-uh. If he saw God and died, I might see God and die. Forget about it. So I could, that way they could just pull him out, you know? They could just pull him out. Now, I don't know if that story is true or not, but that's a good story. But... This is Jesus, the high, holy, glorious example, the exact representation of his being. It doesn't get any closer than that. Say, well, how much like God is Jesus? It says exact representation, not kind of like God, a little bit like God. I mean, it can't be any more than that, you know? I mean, do you ever see, like, every once in a while you'll see a, a, a father and a son, and it's like a mini-me. He looks pretty close, you know. But still, you know, this is an exact representation. In the Greek, it actually says the character of God. There's a, very, a really famous story of, uh, in France during the, one of the many revolutions they had. The king was trying to, King Louis, he was the one married to Marie Antoinette. You know Marie Antoinette, the one that said, let him eat cake. They were trying to flee the country because Paris was rioting, and they got all they, were, they left in the middle of the night. They were they were you know dressed trying to dress like normal people, which no way, but you know somewhat like normal people. They were still wearing Gucci and Prada and all this stuff, and they were on the way. They got all the way to the border with Belgium, and they were at the about to cross the border. And one of the gate, one of the guards at the gate had a coin in his hand. He looked at the coin, and he looked at the guy in the coach. He goes, "This is that guy." That's the king. And they captured him, took him back, and both of them got the guillotine. What was it? The character. You could recognize him. The character was so exact. Jesus is the exact character of God. Now you think about it. Could a person who's limited by education, even if you got a lot, who's limited by time, can't think outside of time, can't think out of the, the dimensions we live with, the three dimensions that we deal with, who's limited with knowledge and experience, could that person ever understand a being who's unlimited, unhindered by time or space or knowledge or information? There's no way. I mean, could we ever understand, really understand God, who created everything, 
who is infinite and knows all things? No, of course not. No more than my dog could understand calculus. It's just way beyond us, right? Therefore, God sent Jesus so we could understand him. Who came in our form, like us, speaking like us. I told somebody one time, it was like, if, if there was an anthill and I'm about to dig up the yard, and it's a thriving anthill, and I can stand there and scream at those ants all day long, they're not going to understand what's happening. They're not going to understand the danger coming. They're not going to understand what's about to happen. But if I could turn into an ant and speak ant, maybe I could save them, even if I knew they were going to kill me. But if I really, really cared about those ants, I'm sorry, I don't care about any ants that much. But if I did, but that's basically what Jesus did. That's what God did. Put himself in the form of a person. He says, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, by the way, he is the way to purify all your sins. No matter what you have ever done in life, no matter the worst shameful act, the most embarrassing act, the ugliest thing you've ever done, Jesus provides a way for it to be purified, forgiven, and washed away. Gone. Like it never, ever happened. And he's the only way to do that. There's no other way. So after he provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He wasn't just standing to God's right, which is the place of honor. He's sitting, which means it's a permanent position. He stays there at the right hand of God. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. You might think, well, what's the big deal with angels? I mean, of course we know Jesus is greater than angels. Now you've got to understand, in ancient times, angels were considered the ultimate beings. We, I talked about how people felt scared to even come close to God, to might possibly see him and die. And yet the angels live in his presence 24-7. They face God. That's how powerful they are. God said, one angel... He sent one angel to protect the Hebrews when they were leaving Egypt. And that one angel wiped out all the armies that attacked them. Imagine what a legion of angels could do. Right? As we sing that song, he could have called 10,000 angels. But he didn't. So they understood angels were incredibly, are incredibly powerful people or beings. We don't understand exactly how that all works, but we know they're intense. We know they're incredibly powerful. And we know that they even work amongst us and within us, and we don't even know. We don't know sometimes. And that's why we're warned to be kind to everybody, because that person who cut you off of the freeway might actually be an angel. (laughs) Just checking on you. (laughs) So we're warned. We're warned. I can see the faces. Oh, no. I'm in trouble. I got to go to confession. Um, let's see. Let's go back. So Jesus is even greater than the angels. 
the most powerful beings on earth. He's far greater. He's far more. And then the writer, he, he weaves together a whole bunch of scriptures. Really cool scriptures. We don't have time to read through them all one by one. But, but you ever want to do a great study? Read each one and ask why. Why, would, why did he say this? Because it's all, basically he's making a case of who is Jesus. And there's something in each one important for us to understand about Jesus. Chapter 2. Ready? Chapter 2. Wake up! That's what chapter 2 says, basically. He says, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard. He's saying, basically, don't... Actually, in the Greek... Let me give you the Greek translation. Don't space out. It's basically what he's saying. Don't space out. Actually, the writer is somebody who clearly had some experience with ships because he uses nautical terms. He talks about being well anchored and not getting carried away by the tide. That's all hidden in the language. It doesn't come out in the translation, but, it's, but the words that are used there is the same words. He says, he says, if for the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? That salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Basically, he says, look, you got to pay attention because it's Jesus talking. And if Jesus is far greater than the angels, if in the past people like Moses, people like, like you know, Abraham, people, all these people who spoke to angels, they had to do every single thing the angels said. Or they're in big trouble, right? So how much more important is it that we do every single thing Jesus said? Because he's far greater than the angels. So we got to pay close attention to Jesus' words. I mean, really, we ought to really know everything Jesus said. We should, be able, we should be able to put all our Bibles aside and sit down and rewrite the whole Gospels. Because we know his words that well. We know what he said about everything. Any situation in life we can turn to a scripture. This is what Jesus said right here. But Jesus said this. Jesus said that. Because his words are that powerful and they will bring us life. His words are what are going to save us. So we got to pay attention. So basically he's saying don't space out on this. There's a word in there. It's one of my favorite words in the whole Bible. Phobomai. Phobomai. Okay, some of you think about where's the word phobo or phobia? What's that mean? Fear, right? Phobomai means be afraid. Be afraid of missing something Jesus said. It's basically what it says. There is a time to be afraid. Be afraid you're going to space out on something God is going to try to tell you. He says, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? The salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. He's basically saying, look, God has proven who he is. I mean, there's so many miracles, starting with the resurrection. Let's just start with that one. That's a big one right there, you know. Victory over death. You know, overcome. I mean, we all know, all of us painfully know, how final death is. 
how absolute death is. I appreciate what Avery was sharing. You know, there was, I, I, was, I was walking through a Macy's and this woman walked by wearing my mom's perfume. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, everything, all of a sudden, is just flooded with emotion. You know, because no matter what I do, there's no way I could even have two minutes with my mom again. There's no way. There's no way I can go back and have a conversation. Death is final. And it's so intense. And that's why you see everybody at funerals in shock. Because it's just there's no way to rewind. We're so used to, we live in the video game world where we can just reset and start over. But death doesn't play like that. It's just, it's over. It's done. The person's gone, and you can't talk to him. And this is why Jesus' victory over death is so great. It's so great. I lost my little brother when he was, he was about four years old. I'll get to see him again if I stick to Jesus, right? I'll get to see him again. I look forward to that. I don't know what he's going to look like. I don't know what I'm going to look like, but, but I hopefully I'll know it's him. Someday. So what a huge victory that is over death that he gives us. That's just where it starts. That's just where it starts. And not to mention all the miracles of our lives. You all raised your hands. I saw you, right? You was a lot of witnesses of your conversion. The things you changed and the things that you started. And hopefully, and here's the part where this is going to sting a little bit. Hopefully that wasn't the only time in your life that you made major changes. Hopefully you're still making them. There are still signs and wonders and miracles in your life. If there's not, then you got to ask yourself, am I still walking with Jesus? Do I still know him? Maybe more importantly, does he still know me? You know, are we still walking together? Because you cannot be in the presence of Jesus without being changed. It will change you in good ways, right? Not bad ways, hopefully. You will not become more self-righteous, more judgmental, more critical, more negative. No, no, no. You become more patient, more gracious, more kind. Joy, love, patience, kindness, self-control. Remember those? For if the message spoken, excuse me, God also testified by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, Distributed according to his will. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, but about which we are speaking. But there is a place where someone has testified. What is man that you are mindful of him? It's a little bit of a jab. It's a scripture. But who are we that the whole universe focused on us? Just a little, little humble jab there. Who are you that God would put all his focus on you? And then he says, and the Son of Man, that you care for him, Jesus. You made him a little lower than the angels, that's Jesus. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. And putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to him. That's a very important line. He says, he put Jesus in charge of the whole universe. But not everything is following Jesus. It's not all subject to him. 
One of the scariest lines I hear in the fellowship is when bad things happen and people say, well, I guess God had a purpose in it, or I guess that was God's will. Let me tell you something. Most of what's happening in our world is not God's will. That's why Jesus said, pray that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Who is the Lord of this world? Satan, not Jesus. That's why he has to be the Lord of your heart and your life. But he will not be the Lord of this world. That's why there's so much evil in this world. And that's why evil continues to happen all the time. It's not God's will. God is good. If you learn anything from the Bible, learn God is good. Sometimes I've had deep talks with brothers and sisters who, who, who've been hurt because something happened and they, they, they feel angry at God. And I remind them, the thing you have to remember is God is good. There's a lot of evil in this world, but it's not God. It's Satan. When my, when my parents died, when, and you remember, I, I shared with you, my mom bought a gun, killed my dad, and then he killed, she killed herself. And I remember when I got the call, and I went and sat in my backyard, and I just cried. And I knew, I felt like Jesus was sitting there with me crying. Because it wasn't his will. It wasn't what he wanted. That wasn't the dream he had. You remember? I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you hope in the future. That's for everybody. But Satan has plans too. To rob you of hope and to destroy your life and to steal your future. And so it's the battle we're in. But it is, make no mistake, God is good. He says, he says in, bringing him, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation Perfect through suffering. That's a, that's a huge statement. He was made perfect through suffering. Well, first of all, that implies that he wasn't perfect before. He was perfected through suffering. Wait, wait, how can you be perfected if you're already perfect? I, mean, I guess you could say he was made more perfect. But in the sense that he became the perfect savior by suffering for us because he would go through things that we go through. Whenever you mess up, who do you want to go to? A, the person who never messes up, does everything right, or B, the person who messes up but keeps on moving forward? Right. The one who's going to relate, right? When you're suffering and hurting, you want to talk to somebody who has suffered and hurt. Because they get it. They understand. You don't want to talk to the person who's never had anybody close to them die, who's never gone through a hard time. They're like, toughen up, buddy. They don't get it. They don't understand. Jesus became the perfect Savior because he suffered. And he was willing to suffer. He says, he says, in verse 11, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. 
You know, when we suffer together, it's bonding. It makes a bond. That's why when men come back, and now men and women, but when they come back from war, there's always this war buddy thing. That they're so tight. Why? Because they've been through hell together. They have walked through the valley of shadow of death and hell together. And they survived it. And that bonds them. And when you, you know, when, when always when, when, when somebody in the church has a family member who commits suicide, they always come and talk to me. Why? Because I've been through that. I know the pain of that. That makes me part of a brotherhood I'd rather not be a part of, but I am a part of that, of having somebody you love commit suicide. And, and that's what suffering does. It brings us together and makes us a family. And Jesus is not ashamed to call you brothers and sisters because of it, because he suffered too. And he says, he says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And he, he reminds us that you can trust Jesus. He knows. He relates. He understands. I remember uh, one time Michelle and I spoke at a, at a marriage retreat in Boston. And Michelle had, had chronic fatigue and she'd been very sick. And, and I, think she sh I think you shared about this in, in the women's program, but, but there were people who questioned her commitment level because sometimes she'd be so sick she couldn't come to church. And, you know, and people would question how committed she is. Why does she just deny herself more? Because people who don't understand chronic illness, you know, and she shared in the, in the thing, in the talk about it, and after our talk, there's like 30 women surrounding her. And I'm standing there by myself like... I did say some things, you know, but, but what, what amazed me is they wanted to talk to Michelle because she understood. She related. She got it. Jesus relates. He gets you. He understands you. He knows what it's like. In verse 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. He knows what it's like to just be a person trying to do right in this world. He knows how tough that is. He knows how challenging that can be. He knows how painful that can be. So that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So on every level, whether it's suffering, whether it's the challenge of temptation, whether it's, it's, it's dealing, taking on Satan himself, he understands you. He relates. He knows what it's like. I mean, whatever you've been, I, mean, I was abandoned. Jesus was abandoned. I was betrayed by friends. Jesus was betrayed. I was hurt by people who I should be able to trust. Jesus was betrayed by people he should be able to trust. I was hurt by people that were ungrateful for all I did for them. <laughs> Tell Jesus. 
I mean, every betrayal and wrong that one person could do on another, they did to Jesus. I was physically abused. Jesus was physically abused. All the ways that a person could be hurt, he gets it. He understands. And that was what helps make him the perfect Savior and so merciful with you and me. He understands. He gets it. He knows. It made him the merciful high priest. What's a high priest? It's the person that goes on your behalf to God and pleads your case. And to deal with sin. Your biggest problem. Your biggest problem isn't what you probably think it is. Your biggest problem is sin. That's the biggest problem we all have. Everybody has that big problem. And he dealt with that one too. It would be like if you walk, let's say you, let's say you were innocently, okay, at the store. And you're like, one of the little baskets, your basket's all full. And, and you're like, you know, I'm going to get that Snickers bar. And, uh, oh, it doesn't fit in there. I'll just put it in my pocket here. Well, I'll remember it when I go out. And you forget. And on your way out the door, bam, they grab you. And they're taking you to jail for a Snickers bar. Yeah. And then you're going into court and you step into the court. You meet your defense lawyer. Hey, it's your cousin you grew up with. You meet the prosecutor. That's my brother. You meet the judge. That's my dad. Wait, this is rigged. They're never going to let me go in this trial. No, they, they, they'd cancel that trial and replace everybody. But that's exactly what God did. Jesus is your lawyer. And God is your judge. And they're on your side. Because they feel for you. They love you. They want you to succeed. They want you to win this case and to be with God forever. I mean, it can't get any better than that. You can't, I mean, you're set up, but in a good way for once, right? You're set up to win, even over sin. Because he himself served when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. And we'll close out chapter 3. We'll close out with this verse. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. So, we'll end out this, we'll close out this. All we're doing is just reading through the scriptures, right? It's like, a, it's like an orange juice thing. You just squeeze the scriptures out, get all that juice out of them. And there's a whole lot more, let me tell you, there's a whole lot more in there. But, his solution Fix your eyes on Jesus. Every day we have to go back and fix our eyes on Jesus. Every morning, every noon, every afternoon. Why? Because he loves you. He cares for you. He's on your side. He defends you. He's trying to help you win.
He wants you to live a great life and end in victory. God bless you.